You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. All right. Give it up for Cardinal David, y'all. Since we're handing out titles. I think last time, um, one of the times, first time I spoke, Robin wasn't here. I got promoted by the uh, announcer to, I think it was associate pastor, assistant to the regional pastor, which was awesome. So to go from there to Bishop today in Robin's absence is just, this is awesome. So I can't wait to see next time he's out, I'll be like the Pope or something. It's it's just going to be where we go from there. Um, Hey, let's pray this morning. I want to say a couple things and and then I'm just going to invite us into an interesting space I find myself in today. Um, but I, want, I just want to say how much we love this church. Uh, Kara's jumping in to help the kids this morning, so I'm going to speak on her behalf. But, um, you know, we, we came to Charlotte just on this word of the Lord to transition the church we founded and had been there for 12 to really almost 13 years. And um, it was a very hard thing to do. Um, and we really didn't know what we were coming to. We, we came in one sense to help one thing and realized that wasn't why the Lord called us here. And um, in the midst of all that, we, we landed here, and it's just been the most beautiful, easy um, journey for us. That's just meant the world to our family. And I was just telling someone, like, just the authenticity and realness that's in this place, more than we realize, um, is so rare and so valuable. And I, I just say that to, to compliment you, but also just to compliment Robin and Donna, who have who have just cultivated that year after year after year, and all the teams involved. I think it just sometimes goes so it, it can go unnoticed and undervalued, but the realness that's in this place is just so priceless. So, um, just wanted to say that. But I'm going to pray for us, and then you're going to pray for me because I don't know what I'm teaching on today. Okay, Father, we just um, God, we thank you that you're extremely authentic in who you are that you never put up a curtain you never hide in a shadow god that when you came in the full glimpse that we saw in jesus god it was radical the way that it drew us the way that humanity leaned into you a god that they had never seen but for the first time met through the sun and to meet a god who came up close to love to embrace, to value. God, it flipped the world upside down. And I'm convinced, God, that still the same approach is true, that you just want to reach a world through this place of love and value, to encounter a Father who's always been for them. And God, I pray that you just grace us in these places of authenticity to fully represent who you are and what you're like. And so, God, I pray for your presence this morning, and we lean into it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I have to tell you a story in just a second, but before I go there, I, I'm in a weird spot this morning, okay? And I'm going to break pastoral protocol. I'm not supposed to do stuff like this because it can get you fired, but since I'm the bishop now, I can't be fired. Um. Normally, I think probably this is the first Sunday in a decade I've kind of been in one of these moments. And rather like fake it till you make it, I like to actually invite people to lean into this, this journey I'm on with the Lord in real time. Uh, and so uh, I, I was 
prepping kind of, you know, through the week and um, in my folders have, you know, just countless, probably a couple years worth of just things to teach on and places to draw from. But I'm one of those guys who's like half foot intentional and half foot fluid. Like I really need the Holy Spirit to like lead the moment. I don't just want to plan. And so in between my preparation and um, his leading is usually where we land. And through the week, I just could not land on God. What do you want to like do this week? What do you want to say? What do you want to talk about? And I kept ping ponging between ideas. And usually that can kind of be my journey. And then usually maybe on the weekend, I kind of land and I feel like God's kind of focused me somewhere. And then this morning, uh, I'm sitting there with the Lord. I'm like, God, what do you want to talk about this morning? Because he hasn't given me a green light on anything. And he gave me a passage. I sent it to Chris. So we're going to see what we're going to talk about in that passage in a minute. Um, but it put me in this space where we're just completely vulnerable to what God wants to do. And I say this as someone, I, I hate using spirituality as an excuse for laziness or lack of preparation and all that stuff. But sometimes... In all of our efforts, they still fall short, and we just need God to breathe on a moment. And so if we could this morning, I want to take the morning and just give it to the Lord, lean into Jesus, and see what what happens. I don't know why I'm reminded of this story or this passage, but we're going to see where it goes a little bit this morning. Um, But a few years ago, I was at a wedding, and... This guy, um, who's kind of an introvert, kind of quiet, just decided during the dance portion of the reception that this was his moment, okay? And he's one of those guys who just kind of sits on the sideline. He's not, you know, trying to get the room to see him or anything, but um, something clicked, something shifted in his life. And I remember everyone's dancing, having fun. It was a good friend's wedding, so everybody's laid back and loose. And all of a sudden, this guy gets up, and he just kind of gets in the middle. And it was a big moment because we knew, man, okay, dude's about to dance. If he's dancing, we're all paying attention, right? And so no joke, this dude gets up to dance, and he clears the dance floor. Like, big circle, looks like a movie scene, like, And I can only describe what I saw as this trance that he went into, this dance trance. His eyes kind of glazed over. They kind of looked a little bit cross, but not quite. And he proceeded to break bad in a way that I've never seen before. Like, just dance move straight out of like a salt and pepper video. Like, I mean, the dude, I mean, he's not an athletic guy, but somehow he threw himself backwards on the floor, did one of these and popped back up, and then gave like a sassy head pop. I mean, it's just like the most inspiring inspiring thing I've ever seen at a wedding and to top it all off he's got the room like he's winning right and then all of a sudden he pulls kind of one of those spins and he tries to drop into a split no it's okay Uh, and he drops into a split okay Um, well some other things split like his pants And I don't mean like a little bit, I mean a lot of bit. Like they just split wide open. And he splits his pants, he gets back up, and all of a sudden he starts wobbling like this. (laughs) Uh, This is a tragic turn here. 
He starts wobbling, and in front of all of us, um, he just passes out. Hits the floor. Wasn't the Holy Spirit. Uh, just he overheated. Like he just, <laughs> dude was on fire, got too hot, and went down. And it wasn't funny then. It's one of the best things that's ever happened now, though, since we know that he's okay. He was totally fine, just overheated, kind of like had a moment. But what happened at my friend's wedding is, um, as they are going out to the car and the bird seed scene's happening and they're about to drive off into the sunset, just in your peripheral is the ambulance ministering to this guy on the sidewalk as they just walk by. Now, needless to say, the best wedding I've ever been to in my life. Uh, in fact, a friend of mine's about to get married, and I'm just really trying hard to get him to invite this guy, uh, just because you never know. Uh, <clears throat> but the guy went for it, and in his mind, I'm sure on like one side, I don't know what happened, but he got this glaze, and he just went for it. And right in the middle of it, where he seemed to be winning, all of a sudden, just everything fell apart. Like It went from momentum to ambulance ride home. And I was thinking about Peter um, this morning. It's Matthew 14. I want to pull this, a few scriptures here and just read them. And I mention this verse often, but it's still one of those verses that captivate me. Because just some context here, Matthew 14, Jesus, his cousin has just been beheaded. And... Jesus is kind of getting on the wrong side of the political leaders. He's always kind of been on the wrong side of the religious leaders, but now there's kind of uh, some worry in the political side because he's got the attention of the multitudes. And John the Baptist is beheaded, and it says that Jesus withdraws and wants to go to kind of a solitary place, and he goes there maybe just to process what happened, probably also just to get away from some of the tension. But as Jesus goes to a solitary place, thousands thousands of people go to and it's safe to say that in a climate where jesus is kind of at odds with the leadership of the day he's certainly not at odds with the multitude of culture and this is a horrible recipe because it's one of those things that can kind of get you crucified to be against the leaders but have the favor uh, of the culture around you and here's jesus And right before this story, Jesus feeds the 5,000. They come, they're hungry, they're just trying to be around his ministry, and they don't have enough, and Jesus performs a miracle, right? He takes what's not enough, makes it enough, and they take up leftovers, and everyone's fed. And I can only imagine the scene like this is one of those insane, uh, just beautiful moments where everyone's on this euphoric high of the Son of God. And there's still some mystery. A lot of people don't know that it's the Son of God. They're trying to figure out what's going on. All they know is our bellies are full, and that shouldn't be the case. And there is a little bit of a reputation with Jesus at this point. He's healed the sick and raised the dead and opened blind eyes. And so his ministry is kind of getting out. Word spreading a little bit. That's why thousands are following. But it's safe to say that this is a moment where there's enough momentum that you just believe this guy... You receive this guy, you do whatever he says, and you think you're just going to be okay, right? And that's a little bit of the context. There's this massive faith momentum for the miraculous to invade earth, and this is where they, uh, this is where we pick up. He dismisses the crowd, 
And it says this, Matthew 14, 22, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And if we can just take our time this morning, put yourself in their shoes. Okay? You're living under Roman oppression. You're waiting for this Messiah. It's been talked about for centuries. All of a sudden, here's the guy. There's been plenty of false ones, but here's the guy who might be the one. Some of them probably are convinced that he is the one. Miracles are happening. Thousands are being fed. You're off of that momentum. You're sitting in a boat and you're processing all that's happening. And here comes that one walking on the water. This is the moment I would have thought, okay, it's him. I'm good, right? You ever think you come to these places in your faith where you never have to do that again? Like you've reached a certain apex or you've crossed a certain boundary and you think, I'll never struggle with doubt or disbelief ever again because I've seen enough to be fully convinced. But the truth is, we're more convinced in the moment rather than we are for all time, more than we realize. But here's Jesus, the miracle worker, doing another miracle. He's walking on the water. And the Bible says that they were terrified. They thought it was a ghost. They cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it's me, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, and I think if you break down this original language, he's in a sense saying, since it's you. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. I, I love this um, space. Because Peter's inviting himself into what Jesus is doing. Can I tell you as the church, we are constantly being invited by Jesus to take part in what he's doing and be where he is. Faith is not about you proving your measure. Faith is not about you being the most awesome radical disciple. Faith is not this line that you cross where you've reached this awesome percentage where you'll never be messed up or have fear or doubt again. Faith is not this performance-driven relationship that we have with God. Faith is these moments of exchange where we're invited to take part in what he's doing it and how he's doing it. But let's keep reading. He says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus obliged, come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and called him, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? And he climbed into the boat. The wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, I, I point this out because... How many times do you need a miracle from the Lord to be convinced to the point that you don't have to doubt anymore? And we know they're going to because we know the story of the gospel that these are the guys that are going to disperse. Some are going to deny him. They're going to disassociate when things get tough and Jesus is being led uh, to the cross. Like all of a sudden, nobody's in the Jesus camp anymore, right? Survival mode kicks in. 
They've seen the dude walk on water. They've seen him feed the thousands. They've literally seen him bring people back from the dead. They've seen blind eyes open. Yet somehow, who he was in all of those moments did not outweigh the fear they carried in the moment of persecution. And they see the miracle worker all of a sudden be the one in need of a miracle. And he's carrying his own cross to his own death. And they're doubting. Right? I think sometimes when it comes to faith, we lean so much on ours. When really we should lean on his. Amen? See, there's this beautiful thing, and I said this a few weeks ago, I don't want to get into like regurgitating a sermon. That's a gross word to use. Um, but what Peter couldn't do was on the other side of what he could do. Peter couldn't walk on water, but he knew how to walk. What changed wasn't the action, it was the location in which he was doing it in for the first time. It's where Jesus was walking. He witnessed it for the first time, and he had an invitation to come and do the thing that Jesus was doing. I fully believe in the life of faith and the rhythm that we dance with ourselves and the Lord. That in faith there is this measure that is our responsibility to respond with. And we know that faith doesn't mean just some, uh, it's not just some random term that we use. But it literally means that we are, have been persuaded or convinced about something. I've been persuaded by something. You would think after miracle after miracle, these guys would be so persuaded about who Jesus is that they would never have to question anything else. Whether it was a storm in a boat or whether it was a savior on a cross, you would think they'd be like, no, he's good. We've seen enough that I'm not even worried at this point. Like I'm not even shaken at this point. Like, the dude can walk on water, so I am totally fine. I don't care if there's a typhoon. I just trust this guy more than I'm worried about the typhoon. But isn't it funny that after all of that, they're still so shaken and so seemingly fragile in this thing called faith. So I think faith is so often misunderstood and it's become, in some ways, such a performance-driven model that it actually shrouds what real faith is. And sometimes we put such mandate on faith to be enough, and I'll talk about this in a second maybe, that it's actually the thing that's keeping us from entering these spaces to walk with Jesus in the spaces that he's walking. Because we don't think that we have enough to get there. We don't think that we know enough to get there. Or maybe if we think we do get there, I don't have enough to stay. I don't know about you, and I, I said this a few weeks ago. But telling people they don't have enough faith is one of the just biggest crazy things. I'm going to fix what Jesus said here in a minute. He said it right. I'm not fixing what he said. I'm going to fix how he heard it. But we have used faith to measure and set the elite apart within the church. Can I tell you in the kingdom of God, there's no such thing as the elite. There's no metric that says you are closer to Jesus than the other guy. In fact, Jesus, as we talked about last week, was so beneath that that he would be the guest of sinners. It would blow the religious godly mind to find Jesus in the places that Jesus was in. Why? Because there were no elite in the kingdom of God. 
First is last, the last is first. So Jesus will always be with either one all the time. Because it's never based on what they've done or who they could be. It was always based on who he is. I can only imagine this moment though, where Peter gets down out of the boat. And a Galilean boat would have had probably kind of low sides. So it was kind of, you know, it was typical to be threatened by the waves. It wasn't hard to rock that kind of boat or to be afraid that it was sink. But these are fishermen. They're comfortable in that space. Like, they're totally comfortable in the Sea of Galilee. There was familiarity. But I can only imagine when Jesus says, Peter, yeah, come on, it's me. And I don't know, I, I'm taking a little liberty here to paint a picture. Um, so if you're a historian, please don't crucify me. But I can only imagine, unless Peter cannonballed, and maybe he did, there were a couple steps to get out of the boat. I can only envision he hoisted one leg. I don't want to do it for you because I'm not a dancer like my friend at weddings. But I imagine he hoisted one leg over, brought the other one over. I don't know how quick, the scripture doesn't say how quick he did it. I don't know how slow he went. I don't know how nervous he was. Maybe he wasn't nervous at all. But we often applaud, man, this step toward Jesus, this step of faith. Which really is a step of faith. But when I think of Peter taking this first step, this first step isn't really the step of faith. This is the step of maybe. Right? Because if it was me, and I'm putting myself into the story here, so it's not always the best when we interpret scripture, but today we don't have any supervision. (laughs) But if it was me, I would probably put my foot down and lean a little bit to see if it's going to hold. Because after all, it is water. Water isn't supposed to do this. But this is the step of maybe. And sometimes we get stuck in the middle in this place of maybe where we're following Jesus, but we haven't fully let go yet. Right? Because in the realm of maybe, I'm kind of with Jesus leaning into his theme, but I have a backup plan. I'm kind of following Jesus into this miracle, but I'm also, uh, I still have one foot and probably a left hip on the boat of comfort and familiarity and the thing that I know. And if this doesn't feel like it's going to hold, then hold, then I can jump back in. See, it wasn't the first step that was the step of faith. It was this step when Peter probably with wobbly knees went like this. And I don't know how far away Jesus was. I know Jesus didn't walk over to the boat and hold his hand and walk him out because it said when he sank, that's when Jesus grabbed him. But how often is God inviting us out into the middle of these spaces? Just saying, go for it. And here's what here's what I want to ask us maybe this morning. How many times have we gone for it? But because it didn't turn out the way that we thought, we've leaned back on the other foot. And rather than live in like simple, weird, audacious faith 
It doesn't have to be that hard. It's certainly challenging sometimes, but it doesn't have to be that complicated. Rather than lean into Jesus, we're leaning like this. In fact, when he says, Peter, why did you doubt? He's literally saying, why did you have two minds? Why are you in two places? Can I tell you this just about our story? When we felt called to come to Charlotte, um, it's been about a two, over a two-year process of us fully getting down here. Um, because we had to transition out of the church and things like that, and we still help with the church, and it's, it's been a beautiful thing. But many of you know that we're finishing our house up there. And what I realized the other day was we're right where Peter was in our own journey. And I only share this because maybe you can relate to it somewhere in yours. That God called us into this space and it's, you know, it's exciting but it's unknown. You don't know what he wants to do. And often that's how the vision of the Lord works. He invites you into weird spaces that has no clarity. And we stepped a couple years ago. And it was kind of easy, you know. We're the type of people, man, if God says it and we feel that, we're in. You know, that's how we planted our last church. I mean, God just said something we did it and that was our goal and so it wasn't unfamiliar to try to like follow jesus into spaces but if i'm fully vulnerable this morning you know where the hardest part showed up in this past season where we're having to take the other foot off because for two years we've had one foot in we're like yep god we're moving to charlotte don't know what we're doing here. And some days we look at it like, ah, okay, maybe we should just keep one foot on the boat in case. But as we wrap up fully that season, I realize, oh, this is the step of faith. See, it's been optional to, the, to this point for, for us in our own journey. But as we leave and we close the door to that season, we're like, oh, this, that's the step of faith. The other one's just the maybe step. Can I tell you that no matter how many times we step out in the middle, and pardon for the unintentional humor, but it relates to the story. We step in the middle, split our pants, and go to the hospital. Like we feel like it's going good one moment. This is where Peter was. He steps out in the middle and the, the disciples are watching. He's got the room. He's cleared the crowd. They're watching him dance with Jesus on the water and like, whoa, wow. And can you imagine what happens to Peter when he looks at the waves and fear overtakes and all of a sudden he's sinking in the thing that he was just walking on. The thing that Jesus is still walking on now has his heart. And can you imagine the disappointment? I always got frustrated with Jesus because he just like seems like he just stones him after this. He says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And I always wonder, like, why wouldn't you sell? He's the only guy who got out of the boat. Give him a trophy. Like, give him a ribbon. At least a baptism certificate, like something to say, job well done, dude. Like I would rebuke the other guys. Like that's, that's not even little, that's no faith. You didn't even try. At least Peter walked on the water for some span of time. 
But Jesus wasn't just talking about a quantity of faith. This is talking about a duration of faith. In fact, Jesus tells us it's not about your measure of faith. He uses this principle of uh, faith like a mustard seed, which is really small. He's saying that small faith is actually enough. So Jesus wasn't trying to like scold Peter saying, hey, um, here's the deal, dude. You've only got 20% faith. I need you to get up to 80% to really figure out this faith life, to really know what it means to walk with me. I'm going to need you to really flex that muscle and get better. That's not what he was saying. He was saying, why didn't you have faith long enough? Because if faith is me being persuaded about something, the question isn't, what quantity do I need? The question becomes, what am I most persuaded about? Am I more persuaded about Jesus and the miracle, or am I more persuaded about the potential of danger from the waves? See, when we're in the middle, it's so much more about persuasion than it is my strength. My faith, me having enough, me believing God more. Mm. And maybe this is just like my soapbox of things to navigate, but I just, with everything in me, feel like the Lord wants to tear down performance driven faith. That has kept people not in the middle, but actually still in the boat. Because so often we don't even take the first step because we don't think we've got what it takes to get there. Or, like my friend, who I'm sure is a little hesitant now to go out into the middle of the dance floor. And he shouldn't be. He stole the show. He just needed... To be, he just needed a little longer faith. Like need, he needed a little more duration to bring it home. But how many times in our own journey have we gotten to the middle and it didn't turn out the way that we envisioned? And so now we're hesitant to do it again. You understand that faith is, is so much more about being comfortable in these spaces. When everything can be shaken. I mean, these guys are being shaken. They've left the shore, the safety of the shore. Now Peter's leaving the boat. Everything that was safe and secure, it's hard sometimes to go into a new space because you have to leave behind everything that is familiar and comfortable. And familiarity and comfort is where we get our security. But the truth is, I need to transfer my security from familiarity and comfort and transfer it to Jesus because that's where my real security is. See, all of a sudden Peter was shaken because he was afraid of the waves and he hadn't fully transferred his security to Jesus. The boat was still an option. And he knew how to do the boat. He knew what the boat provided. But he had never followed God into a space like this just saying, hey, what are we doing? Our security has to go to Jesus. Our security can't be in our measure of faith. Can I tell you this? If, if you ever feel like you've just gotten really good at faith, you may want to reevaluate. If you think you have graduated, 
Um, and I'm, I'm treading so lightly, like um, trying to be careful because faith is a beautiful thing. But there's no finish line to our faith other than Jesus, who is the author and finisher. Which means my faith, in so many ways, is based on the faith of Jesus. The Bible even talks about this, that we've been given the faith of Christ. Right? That's where my security is. It's not about my measure, and the sooner I realize it's about his measure, is the sooner I can reach out and walk in places with him that I couldn't walk before because I thought it was based on my level of faith when it was always based on his. You understand, it wasn't Peter's faith that allowed uh, him or Jesus to walk on the water. It was the faith that Jesus was already walking in. Peter simply agreed with it, latched his small measure of faith onto it, and together they shared a moment where heaven invaded earth and everything was negotiable. He just didn't do it long enough. Which tells you when it comes to exercising and practicing faith, it's not about just getting a bigger measure. It's about getting more comfortable in that space so that when things are shaking, you're just as comfortable in his world as you are in this one. So that when this world shakes, I don't retreat. I don't have to go back. You know, fear sometimes, I'm going to pray for us, but I think sometimes we knock people because they have fear. And faith isn't the absence of fear. In fact, you can have a, plenty of faith and see miracles and be afraid while you're doing it. Right? It's just that you get more comfortable with trusting him. And it starts to outweigh the fear. And it's always in the middle that gets us like, uh, it's the principle if I put a, uh, it's not a good example, but if I put a two by four from here. Can everybody see this rug? Is that visible? If I put a two by four from here to the other side of the rug, you know, it's three and a half inches wide. And I put $1,000 on the other side. I said, hey, come here, walk across it. And if you get it, it's yours. Everyone, just for fun, raise your hand if you would come up here on this stage and walk across the beam and take the money. It's not a trick. You're not humble if you don't raise your hand. In fact, you're a liar. Now, here's where it gets tricky. Change the context of the middle. Now, we're going to suspend the same board to retrieve the same money between two skyscrapers. It's the same thing. You know how to walk. It's the same way you would walk if it was up here, but the middle changed. Because now the potential is different. See, if I fall here, I'm landing on this nice, cushy bishop rug. It's not going to hurt at all. But in a scenario where I'm suspended between two buildings, I all of a sudden have everything to lose. And that's where fear comes in. It's how we perceive, it's the context, it's what's in the middle, and it's in this middle space last uh, story and I'm going to pray but the Israelites are delivered right they're led out of Egypt and 
God's delivering him one by one. So much like you see in the Gospels, at some point you think God's people are just convinced and never doubt again. Not the case. They've seen miracle after miracle, God's faithfulness and his goodness on them. Certainly some frustration in the mix. By their own doing, let me up. And they're out in the middle of freedom. The problem is they don't know what freedom looks like yet because most of them grew up under oppression. And so they're rejoicing. God set us free. They're excited. But then they get into the middle of that freedom, not knowing what it was going to be like. And somewhere in the middle, they panic. They're confused. And here's what they start to murmur. They start to complain and say, hey, why don't we just go back? In other words, this exodus that Moses led us on, man, that was one step. But when things got tricky in the middle, when things uh, got a little murky, when fear started to become part of the equation, I want to lean back on the foot of maybe. Because at least back in Egypt we had food, there were graves there. Like, I mean, like they know exactly how to do it there because familiarity and comfort is where security normally rests. But in the middle of walking out this crazy, miraculous moment with God, sometimes we just don't know how to do it, and that's why we want to go back. Can I just tell you, faith is not about you knowing how to do it. Faith is not about you having the perfect Christian measure because you went to faith school and got graduated with a 90% faith. Faith is 100% dependent on us being able to lean into Jesus and set our eyes in perspective. This is what repentance is. It's the way I see things coming into sync with how he does. Because he saw the waves differently than Peter did. Amen? God saw the wilderness differently than the Israelites. And I promise you, whatever your story is today, for us, we're transitioning and selling our home and all this fun stuff. And again, I say that all to say we are so convinced and happy where we are and uh, you love this. Ch- I mean, we, we're, we know, like we're not doubting or anything like that. I don't want it to come across that way. But we are fully leaving any comfort behind. And maybe for you this morning it's different. Maybe you're looking, saying, God, I don't know how to go. Or maybe you're in the middle because you started to go. But can I tell you, you can never fully go if you can't fully leave. And maybe for you it's simple. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's something you're navigating in your family. But I promise you, he wants to walk in the middle of every single circumstance and invite us to walk the way that he does through it. And last, I'm going to pray for us. Maybe for you, you got a wedding coming up and you want to dance. No, I'm kidding. I just ruined the whole message. Let me pray for us really quick. Can we just stand for a moment? I want to pray um, just a couple specific things over us. Father, um, God, I just pray for our hearts to know how you see faith, God. God, that you're not, you're not grading us. You're inviting us.
And the only bar that's ever been set has been set by you. And God, I thank you that we get to lean into the bar, the faith of Jesus, the work of Jesus. That we can rightfully walk in the middle of storms, in the middle of waves. We can rightfully walk through circumstance because you've already paid a price. So God, I pray that we would see faith the way that you do. God, that we would be more persuaded by you in the middle than the waves. And God, I pray over any heart, whether it's in this room or online, God, I just pray over any heart that maybe holds a scar where maybe maybe we've been told we don't have enough faith. Maybe we went in the middle and it didn't turn out the way that we thought and so we came back to comfort and now we feel this sense of guilt. God, I pray for any scars that have been caused. by this elusive approach to faith. And God, I pray that your healing would come over in Jesus' name. God, I pray for those who maybe in hope deferred have lost even just the excitement to want to step out in the middle with you. And God, I pray that you would stir it up. Father, I pray that we would hear clearly those invitations to walk into moments with you. And God, I don't mean just the ones on physical water and the exciting, miraculous stuff. God, let us walk into these spaces in our family life, in our jobs, God, in, our, in every space, God. Let us see it the way that you do, God. And here's what we say this morning. You can just agree in your own heart with me, God. We trust you because at the end of the day, that, that is where everything rests is my trust in you. I trust that your faith is enough, that your death was enough, your cross was enough, your life is enough, your love is enough. Your presence is enough. Your goodness is enough. Your grace is enough. That your mercy is enough. And that any part of my life that doesn't feel like any of those topics are enough, God, I trust that they are enough because it's about your faith and what you've done for me, not just my ability to convince myself. Because here's the issue, God. We know that faith is not about our ability to convince ourselves about something. Faith is about our ability, our, our ability to be convinced about you. And we just say, as a body this morning, that you're enough, God. And we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.